and welcome to Talking Who to You, a podcast dedicated to the Big Finish audio adventures of Doctor Who. My name is Kev Kozer, and I'm here with my co-host, J.G. McQuarrie. Say hi, J.G. Hey, Kev. How's life? Life is good. Haven't been able to find a double to take my place in my foretold death yet, but fingers crossed. Well, we were just discussing this off air, and neither of us are full of energy this week, so a, a, a double for either one of us or for both of us would be very much appreciated. However, this week we are going to stagger onwards. We will boldly review everything that we possibly can, and that means we're going to be covering the last two episodes of The Diary of River Song, Volume 3. That means that we are going to be covering My Dinner with Andrew by John Dorney, and we're going to be covering The Furies by Matt Fitton. Kev, do you want to give us a quick summary? Sure. My Dinner with Andrew has River Song writer the Bumptious Gastropod, a restaurant that exists out of time, knowing that the doctor is due to be assassinated there by Madame Kavarian and Brooke. So she has a number of schemes, one involving a lookalike for the doctor named Andrew Edwardson, the other involving a robot, and various things that wind up not panning out as the doctor is apparently killed by Brooke at the end of the story. Mostly because River cannot bring herself to send Andrew to his death. In the mean, also worth noting, Brooke regenerates in the story into a character played by Nina Toussaint White, which just, you know, the trivia played uh, Mel's in Let's Kill Hitler. Anyways, on to the Furies, where uh, River has now pursuing Madame Kavarian, who has the Doctor's body in tow, as the universe sort of settles in to a universe of the Doctor, which is a universe that is basically collapsing. She winds up Breaking through to Brooke, as well as her sisters, H1, H2, and O, and sort of staging a coup against Madame Kavarian. And finally, Brooke makes a sacrifice, putting Andrew in the Doctor's place after going back in time in order to save the Doctor's life. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Well, yeah, these are two stories which are definitely very different in tone. My, my Dinner with Andrew is, is pretty much a straightforward comedy, I guess. And The Furies is, is trying to be a much more of a character piece, uh, much more low scale than I think we normally get from a conclusion to this kind of box set. But let's kick off with My Dinner with Andrew. How did you find it? I think you can draw a lot of comparisons to Laden and Lake with this one. And that's a very funny, light on its feet story, dealing with some serious things, especially with its cliffhanger end. But on the whole, it's just a very creative concept and use of time travel. And as well all of the doubles, all the sort of farce moving around and plotting, it's also a very complicated story and one that impresses me because it's so complicated. Yeah, I think there's a lot of time and effort sort of clearly being put into the construction of this. In, in some ways, it's kind of faintly reminiscent of something like uh, Memento, I suppose, which has its sort of weird backwards chronology in the same way that River is kind of skipping backwards in time here. I... I like parts of it. I mean, it obviously owes a massive kind of clear debt to kind of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, or more specifically, mm -hmm. Restaurant at the End of the Universe. So the humor isn't exactly Douglas Adams-esque, but it's also not not exactly Douglas <laughs> Adams-esque. Like, the character of the maitre d' is such an easy thing to imagine uh, Douglas Adams writing. In fact, it is basically there in the in the episode that, ironically, Peter Davison guests in when, when it comes to the TV show. So, yeah, it, it's it's very much in that vein. And, like, it's, it's, it's really tough to criticise somebody for not living up to the standards of Douglas Adams because Douglas Adams is one of the sort of foremost humorists, well, not just really of the 20th century, but, you know, he, he draws realistic comparisons with the likes of um, G.K. Chesterton or P.G. Woodhouse. You know, he's in that kind of vein. And, you know, like, asking somebody to, to reach that standard and kind of knock off audio series is probably stretching the bar just that little bit too high. And, and like, to be fair to John Dorney, he, he does pretty good with a concept which is, you know... Like, if you're a big Doctor Who fan, you're going to immediately recognize kind of like the, the source from which this is drawing. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with Doctor Who when it has its roots showing. Uh, but its roots really, really are showing. Yeah, its roots are showing. But, yeah, I don't see so much of a problem with that. I definitely think it may sort of cap this story from becoming a masterpiece just because it is something we have seen before. But through the lens of Doctor Who, rather than something wholly original. But I still think this is a very good story, a very solid story on its own oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If only because of the incorporation of River. And I think, I mean, that's sort of Doctor Who does best, is it sort of takes his very familiar genre beats, 
either very specific, like rationally in the universe, or more general as a more often case, but then sort of filters them through these character stories. This is very much a character story for River as this looming question of whether or not she would sacrifice Andrew in order to save the doctor's life sort of hangs over a lot of the episode. And so I think in that sense, it's very effective. I think, I mean, because River is a much more cold character than the doctor, I, I can easily imagine a version where she does after, uh, you know, having it pointed out after a bit of contemplation still winds up leading him to his death. And I'm glad it doesn't in this one, but <laughs> <laughs> spoilers. Yeah, it is a great little dilemma. And I think it's executed really well from that perspective. Well, it's quite nice to have Peter Davison included as well and not just mm -hmm. have him like doing his fifth doctor routine. I mean, other fifth doctor is kind of briefly in it, but we do obviously spend the majority of the episode with Andrew, which gives him the opportunity to do something slightly different. Now, that slightly different is a bit of an accent. So he goes a bit northern and it's like it's a slightly pathetic character, but it's not completely dislikable. And he does a lot of that kind of stuff. And that's fine. That's okay. Um, I think maybe Andrew could have been drawn a little bit more distinctly because it for all that, like, Peter Davison does fine with the role, the role itself is just Peter Davison with, like, a bit of a northern accent. It's not really... Like, we, we get hints of it. So, you know, he's... Um, yeah, Andrew, that is, is obviously a loner. You know, you get lines about him, like, taking a spag ball out of the freezer and all this kind of stuff. So we, we have hints of it. He's nervous around women and all the rest of it. But it still feels like a bit of a thumbnail sketch of a character. And whilst I think the interrogation of whether River is prepared to sacrifice somebody like that in order to save the Doctor is perfectly fine, I think I would have liked it just a little bit more if the character had been, um, yeah, less of a thumbnail sketch and more kind of like a, a fully fleshed out sort of character. And that's always the danger when you have like your, your big guest star, which in this case is Peter Davison, like turning in one of these kind of dual roles it, it can be difficult to to have that kind of pivot and and i think that's a bit of a shame but i do definitely sort of appreciate the idea of of sort of interrogating how far river will go to sort of um save the doctor up to and including kind of the sacrifice of somebody who's wholly innocent whose only crime is actually looking a bit like peter davison yeah i do think that Davison is a little better at Andrew in this story, actually, than he was in Requiem for the Doctor. Just, I think there's a little bit more for him to chew on in this one. This, I mean, yeah. you say it's not so different acting-wise, but there's a bit of a sad sacrifice to the character that really comes through that I enjoy. I really like how he sort of winds up as like the owner of this restaurant <laughs> through this sort of bit of dumb luck. That's a very sweet moment, I feel. And also, also playing the Furies in the next story, I think it's a lot more out of Davison's at least acting ability than playing the Doctor does, which is a little bit ironic. Uh, we'll get to the Fury role at least when we get to that. But yeah, in general, I am sort of grateful that this story does give Davison a little more to chew on. It a little bit mollifies how uh, lifeless he was in the last story. Oh yeah, no, I do definitely think he, he turns in a better performance than he did with the sort of checked out performance uh, last time out. I I don't want to suggest otherwise. Um, yeah, he's he's good. He he has the opportunity to do something different. I don't think the problem is in the performance. I th I just think the writing around Andrew could have been that just that little bit sharper to help kind of define you know this kind of crisis of conscience that, that river is going through i agree with you i think it's a very sweet moment that that he kind of gets the restaurant in the end which kind of makes his eventual fate in the next story sort of you know not bittersweet it's 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 just kind of mean <laughs> it's just kind of yeah. nasty um but we'll get to that when we get to that but uh, in the meantime yeah no no i think i think peter davison does a good job here and um i you know i think generally speaking the cast all round are are really really solid of course i mean it goes without saying that we, we we love alex kingston and she's up to her usual standard but you know yeah like jonathan Coote deserves some proper credit for the maitre d as well you know he is like adopting this kind of outrageous french accent um you know that's so easy for that to just become insufferable uh, but he keeps it the right side of it you know there's something you know kind of undeniably appealing about the way that he plays the character even although it is kind of just this 
sort of slightly <laughs> reductive cliche but then of course it's meant to be a slightly reductive cliche as well so it's kind of wheels within wheels there but yeah no i, I like his performance and uh, yeah i think he does a, a terrific job with it yeah i think the matrix is such a fun character like there's is a great sort of foil for river to bounce off of especially because he's sort of ha- is almost playing like the rules she has to like say like she can't know this but she can know this and that could be very didactic but Coot plays it with just the right air of sort of whimsy and like he's having fun with this as well. That really sort of sells the character for me. And I love how he, there's like three different instances of him welcoming River as she travels back in time. So she realizes he hasn't traveled back in time far enough yet because there is a further back thing. And that, that has always played very well. Uh, and also just the whole performance of what he knows, what he doesn't know and sort of shifting growing more and more fond of River as time from his perspective moves forward, but it's moving backwards for her. It's very complicated, but it works out very well, I feel. Well, I think the script does a good focus, uh, sorry, script does a good job of keeping the focus i should say on the way that the kind of chronology and narrative play out but i think one of the other things that um jonathan cook kind of brings is that he does have a really good rapport with alec kingston and one of the things that i think often gets kind of occluded a little bit when we talk about river especially when we sort of talk about her her audio performances is that alex kingston is a really good comic actor and that's a real skill which i think is is really very easy to overlook because you know when we when conversations i don't just mean you and i although also you and i uh, it's kind of happen around river you know it's very easy to get sidetracked into kind of like the most obvious kind of narrative beats so like she's sassy or like she's a professor or she loves the doctor or whatever but often so much of the way that alex kingston plays river does kind of play on that comic edge and she's really good at doing that thing about comedy just being kind of a a paper thin line between comedy and and kind of not even really tragedy in her case it's more kind of melancholy it's more regret and and sometimes as we'll see in the next story kind of spilling over into anger and fury but you know alex kingston is really good at doing that comic balance where she can carry off the humor of the piece without it just becoming self-indulgent but she can also keep enough of a rein on it that she can just sort of deliver those moments of melancholy those moments of doubt those moments of regret and and really have it kind of shine through for the character so i just kind of want to emphasize it there because this is such an overtly comic script it it, it really makes use of her talents in a way that not every comic kind of script will do that is like Totally right. She did such a good job of keeping up the energy of the story, especially because this is like it has to be a very fast-paced, high-energy story because there's so much to sort of get through with all the different timelines and all the different sort of schemes going on, the farce around those schemes, and as just sort of planning on her feet. Asking does a really good job of keeping that sort of manic energy with herself, really just being on the ball and sort of keeping that thorough line. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's not an, an easy kind of needle to thread. And that energy is so important. If the energy of this piece flags, then the whole thing is going to kind of collapse. It needs that drive. It needs that energy. And like Madame Kavarian can provide part of it. The Maitre d' can provide part of it. But ultimately, River is in virtually, I think, every scene that we have, apart from like a couple of kind of off to one sides or whatever. She, she's in everything. So she really really needs to have that kind of energy up and that drive and that that kind of sort of forward momentum and and river has it and alex kingston just does such a good job and again it's one of those things she, she just does it a lot so yeah it, it is easy to miss but you know it's a real skill you notice it when it's not there but here you don't need to because it is uh speaking of returning uh, actors princess barbara as madame Havarian, uh i think this is a character, classic Big Finish story, very underserved by the show. She got some hammy stuff in, but her story was so convoluted, there wasn't really much to focus on in the character. And here, definitely not as well-developed as uh, <laughs> River Song or some of the other Reclamation projects, but I think keeping the story focused squarely on her and not the silence and the River uh, convoluted arc and 
all of that business going on in Wedding for River Song. Here it's sort of very much about who she is, and especially in the Furies, who she is as a person. And even if there's not a lot of big backstory revelation, I think Princess Barbara has a good time of really leaning into being a very sort of scene-stealing, scenery-chewing uh, villain with a capital V. Oh, you know, that's definitely true. And I know season six is not your favorite season of Doctor Who ever. I think I'm, I think I'm right in saying. No, um, <laughs> but uh, how do you find Madame Kavarian as far as the TV show goes? Did, did, even though it's not your favorite season, did, did you actually like her on screen? I just never knew, and I still don't exactly know who she is. So I, she never left much of an impression. And I think I sort of appreciate Francis Barber going for sort of big moments, but I'd never, like, it's such a nothing character to me. And I think we only get a little bit of shading with these two stories this week, but it is enough. And she also just is given enough, like, actual lines and not just reams of exposition that she does leave more of an impact now, even if it is like a very stock Doctor Who type. Oh, yeah, no, I think that's completely fair criticism of the TV show. One of the problems with the whole Madame Kavarian line, and it's one that we bump into both in this story and the next story. Sorry, there's going to be some kind of overlap of the discussions here. But, you know, we get quite a few references in both stories to events from the TV show. So we have reference to the silence and to the papal mainframe. Rory and Amy are name-checked in the next story and so on. So we get, like, plenty of that coming through. But in a way the fact that it name checks those things kind of exposes the hollowness of them from the TV show. Like, I don't mind mm. season six. It's not my favorite season of Doctor Who. I think I'd probably have a maybe a slightly higher appreciation of it than, than you do, but not by great chunk. And um, yeah, there's just so much which is like messy. Like I think even Mother Lem gets referenced at one point. And that's just like, that just feels like such an attempt to kind of cover something that just so obviously didn't work on screen. And and sort of between all of these kind of different references and different points and, and everything that happened at Demon's Run and it just, yeah, it's it's impossible kind of like, like, like Frances Barber gets a big performance. She's a noticeable character. Like even in something as convoluted as the, the Wedding of River Song, like she's a big central part of that, especially once kind of Amy makes a choice to kill her. And, you know, that whole character has to be kind of larger than life has to be kind of like a big old pantomime villain because otherwise it's just going to get swamped out by all these other kind of like just like endless reams of like chronology and continuity and 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 and, and plot points and and whatever it's just like what what other choice would francis barber have when it comes to kind of delivering that character so of course she brings a lot of that here and i think going big here works as far as this story is concerned when we, when we start sort of the main discussion of the next episode um one of the things i appreciate about it is actually that it, it kind of comes down a little bit but she goes large here and and that's kind of the right thing to do this is a high energy high paced story and there's not an awful lot else that she could kind of do with her character but uh yeah i don't uh, this is definitely not a reclamation project it's definitely not a big finish reclamation project but at the same time it still feels like a fairly successful kind of iteration of the character. It's almost Reclamation Project by default because I think the bar <laughs> is just, it's almost like into the void. They'd have to like screw her up as a character in order to make it worse, like actively. So yeah, just by giving her a little more definition and a little more to do rather than just sort of stand to the side as these complicated wheels and wheels sort of unspool in front of the, the Doctor and all, it does wind up giving her, I think, a little bit more uh, juice as a character. But, yeah, not as much as, say, Anissa or Mel or other people they've treated better, even after just a couple stories with Big Finish. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, with with Madame Kavarian, she, she is slightly, you know... Because she's always playing catch up in this. Every part of it is River is always one part ahead. She travels back in time. She travels back in time. She keeps going back, and and so Madame Kavarian is always sort of playing catch up, and it's kind of fun. It's a it's a runaround, but it doesn't really give the character that that kind of space. I think that is more something that that the Furies tries to do. It tries to kind of give us more time with her and it sort of expand our understanding of her but at least here when she's sort of being reintroduced that reintroduction kind of 
works along with what we already know about her, even although we could stand to do maybe a little bit more of the character here. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. Uh, let's get into our fifth character we haven't really talked about yet, Brooke. She, I mean, she's very interesting, and I think we'll probably have more to say when we get fully into the Furies, but it is, it does definitely set up this sort of tragic idea behind her where she is this puppet of Kavarian and has to do this killing that, I mean, she clearly wants to do, but it's cause it's sort of forced upon her. You have this sort of tragedy to it for sure. Yeah, Brooke's kind of an interesting character because she's essentially River without kind of having River's redeeming features. Uh, Joanna Horton is, is good with the role. She's not given as much to do here as she was in the last story. And that's slightly um, a little bit of a shame. I, I think as far as Requiem for the Doctor goes, the character is kind of set up as being very intriguing. And then kind of in the last five minutes, that kind of gets collapsed down to, oh, right, okay, right, well, now we see what she is. And it turns out what she is and how this story kind of treats her is essentially, oh, she, she's the bad guy in this, right. And that doesn't give the character a lot of, of scope here. I don't think that, I, I don't want to say that the character is badly used, but again, it, it, it's all like, um, how can I say it? There's like, something slightly like Looney Tunes about this story. Yeah. The way, that's the only way I can think of to say it. Like the way that, um, that uh, Kavarian and Brooke are kind of like constantly chasing uh, River as River flits back in time to try and fix something and then something else happens and then like you know we're, we're, we're you know like five minutes away from her declaring that she's missed a turn near Albuquerque you know it's that kind of thing um, that's fine that, I mean that, that works really well with kind of the manic energy of this story but it's at the same time that doesn't give the characters a lot of room to, to breathe you know in, in this kind of scenario Brooke and Madame Cavari and they're you know they're Elmer Fudd, they're Wiley Coyote, they're 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 not the Roadrunner, they're not Bugs Bunny. Um, that's fine, but it's it's. I mean, it is very entertaining watching them desperately trying to kind of catch up with the plot that they're they're stuck in. But that means, as with Madame Kavarian, Brooke is kind of reduced to this sort of role of uh, yeah, just playing catch up until sort of the last five or ten minutes. Yeah, I guess when I brought up Brooke, I'm still sort of blending the two stories together in my mind and she does get more definition in the next one but you're right in my dinner with andrew she very much is just this sort of like stooge just sort of to be there to react and it, it really is river's show that she's running and like pretty much everything that brooke does notably is in those last few minutes as she is sort of compelled to kill the doctor and then seemingly succeeds and then also gets sort of regeneration into the new actor. But yeah, before then, it is just, you're right, she's just sort of there as an obstacle in River's way. This is very much River and the Mater D sort of running the show in this sort of madcap game of like shell game, basically. Yeah, um, which is fine. You know, like, I, I think probably I'm sounding a little bit harsher on this story than I necessarily want to. I don't I don't think this is the best. I, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to this story. You you couldn't really in any way sort of be pressed into saying that it was kind of like a deep thing or but it like it is entertaining. It's mostly able to land kind of like the comedy side of it. And God only knows we've had enough big finished comedies that you and I have <laughs> criticized very heavily. So it, when when we come across the odd one that actually does manage to land that kind of comic side without it just making me want to curl up into a ball and sob, then, you know, that's, that's something of a victory when, when it comes to these kind of stories. And uh, okay, if, it, if it's not necessarily the deepest story, it, it's good fun. It has fun playing around with time travel and paradoxes and, and continuity and all the rest of it. And, you know, that's okay. It's, it's, it's a very entertaining piece. Oh, yeah. I feel like we're both being a little bit more nitpicky than uh, how we actually enjoyed the story, which... I enjoyed it a lot. There's, it's just hard to sort of expand on why it's so great because it's just, you have to be there. You have to really listen to how fast it goes and how exciting every sort of turn is. And then also just those little twists like the Mater D becoming a cockney chef when you ever saw him go <laughs> back too far in time. Uh, the little things like Andrew 
just willing to go along just because he hasn't talked to women in so long. He'll just do what everyone says. It's like, that is a little charming. And yeah, and I just think it has such a good conclusion that River is able to get away because Andrew, she put Andrew in the right place in the right time and he is just a generally decent person and sort of set this all up for her. It has a nice sort of closed loopness to it that I really enjoy. And it's it's a feat to sort of do something this densely plotted and have it feel so satisfying. Yeah, as a general rule, densely plotted isn't sort of what Big Finish do. I, I don't mean that as a criticism. That's just not their default kind of mode of storytelling. And, you know, when, when the TV show does kind of densely plotted, it tends to end up being things like, well, you know, the wedding of River Song. Again, I know, not your favorite story of all time. I think it's fair to say. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, the, you know, the, the TV show regularly goes to this kind of very densely plotted, fast and furious kind of um, sort of storytelling mode. None more so than kind of in the 11th Doctor era. I think that's probably the, the height of kind of this accelerated plot, this kind of accelerated drama. And, and so even although this is ostensibly a fifth Doctor story into which River Song has collided, it's a, still kind of paying fealty to the kind of the, like the manic kind of plot drives of that kind of early Moffat seasons. And, you know, for the most part, it can pull it off. That's a great note to end on and move on to the Furies, which uh, is certainly the second story of this box set. <laughs> or this this week rather fourth story of this box set, and uh, let's talk about something that we kept alluding to over and over again. Now that we finally are going to fully talk about it. Uh, Andrew's fate, which is it does feel very disappointing considering the great pains my dinner with Andrew went to sort of form this whole moral backbone and also plotty backbone into sparing his life. Yeah, I don't like Andrew's fate here, and I I think. When I say I don't like it, it's not because like he's a nice guy that ends up dying. I think that's perfectly possible to pull off with the right writing. I don't like his fate here because it feels very cynical and calculated in a way that I don't think that any other part of this box set is. And I it, it, it's slightly... It's slightly Eric Sowardy in its execution. I think it's trying to be a bit edgy because like this innocent guy is basically being led to the slaughter. And there's no reason for it other than to slaughter this, like, otherwise fairly nice bloke who's, you know, done the right thing and he's been decent. And like you said, he set up this thing for River because he's, like, a decent guy. And that's it. And there's something a bit nihilistic about his fate that, that, that doesn't chime well either with the stories that have been told in this box set or the kind of the way that River Song kind of works in general would, would you go along with that do you think that's fair yeah i think there's like a hot minute where like after you have this sort of realization that andrew is the one who took the doctor's place at first it was a little disappointing because that was an idea floated in the last story much discussed and it is it does feel like almost like there's no better ideas from matt fit on how to actually <laughs> conclude it when he just has to go back to a story they threw away earlier but then also, it's a hot minute where they, well, I'm fine with this because if it's like Andrew knowingly making a noble sacrifice, that's a fairly good story hook and a conclusion to the character. Instead, the way it is, right, is a little bit sour-esque in how much of a bummer it is. It's just Brooke kills him and leads him to his death, rather, because she's just worse than River, and that's how it is. And it doesn't really track with where Brooke's character is going. It doesn't feel very earned it just really does just sit sort of wrong it feels like we it almost makes the whole story feel like kind of a waste if we couldn't think of a good idea a new good idea and just had to rely on an old one well it also feels like it's playing around in the same territory as like that season stuff six so like the doctor's death being a fixed point at lake silencio that's an idea that we've kind of dealt with and we've had the way of getting out of that being, ah, oh, well, actually, it, it, it wasn't the Doctor. It was uh, an Android double filled with tiny, tiny little people. So that's nice. And, you know, they kind of work around it that way. This feels like it's approaching a same sort of plot point or sort of plot beat whereby, you know, again, we want to find a way of for Andrew to survive. We want him to be able to get out of it, 
because you know these deaths are are interchangeable we've already had a robot who's been you know apparently the doctor oh we didn't talk about that that was a nice little moment in the last story as well when when peter davison got to be the killer robot that was oh yeah that was a nice little thing sorry i just had to drop that in no no no, um, totally right i mean this is we're talking about how davison has been flat as a doctor in episode two three really great roles for him not (laughs) as the doctor (laughs) Yep. Uh, So it's nice to see that. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. uh, Back to what I was saying. Um, It's nice that um, that it's kind of the story wants to try and play around in the same territory, I guess. But it doesn't add anything. And I think it sort of actively detracts from it. There's something just, yeah, unpleasant. And so it's not even that it's an unpleasant fate. It's that it's an unnecessarily unpleasant fate. Uh, You know, it's just, I don't know, it's... very wrongly with me and and the the way that it's done which is to kind of say oh well like river isn't quite as bad as brook that doesn't mean anything there's no that, that that's that's not elucidating anything about anyone brook's just a one-shot character we'll never come back to her I, as as far as i know um and like for all that river describes herself as a psychopath or whatever we know that that's not her case even if you've only listened to big finish even if you've only listened to this box set you know that that's not the case it's just kind of like the label she gives herself um so i i, I don't I don't think it works dramatically. I don't think it works from a character point of view, and I don't think it adds anything to kind of River's journey. It just it just doesn't really work. Yeah, it's very strange. And, I mean, I, I hate to do the whole I thought of a better idea, and it should have been what they actually did. But <laughs> I, I, like, I can just think of, like, my first idea of what was going to happen, my solution was that Brooke, as sort of teasing Lady in the Lake, when they can sort of control their generation a bit, Brooke was going to regenerate into a Peter Davison lookalike and take uh, his place. And I thought it would have been much better. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, that's not what they have to do. But if I can think of a better idea rather than just reusing the old one in a very sort of dry and not very dramatic manner, I feel like there could, there could have been plenty of other ways to get out of this that wasn't so lazy. I mean, I hate to use that term. I'm sure a lot of effort and stress goes into writing these but at the same time it does feel very just not very creative well it feels like the easiest way out oh we've got this character well i'll just kill him off yeah move on yeah it'll give some it'll give some full drama to the proceedings because the nice guy dies no and like not even just like easiest way out but like easiest way out feeling extra galling because john dorney explicitly not the easiest way out he thought of a great easy way out and then made it harder on himself writing that story exactly and then matt fitton then takes that easy way that has been offered to him basically <laughs> and yeah i don't know sure love that that really rankles especially because i was saying brooke's character arc is one of the stronger parts of the furies in my opinion i think it is a good sort of way it almost does the work that let's kill hitler tried and failed to do Whereas sort of to reform a character like this who's been sort of brainwashed and try to get them to sort of see that they have been exploited and turn against their exploiters. Well, and I quite admire... Like, I, Okay, let's... Like, cards on the table, as always. Um, you know, this is by Matt Fitton, and I'm, I'm quite openly critical of, of his writing for Big Finish. But I quite appreciate the fact that rather than going for a big kind of epic end to the box set this actually kind of narrows its focus and it becomes more of a character piece so we get to spend some time for example with madame kavarian that's nice i like the fact that we get to spend time with her we get to have her character fleshed out a bit so that all her maternal instincts that we get here that's not something that we really get at all from the tv show but she genuinely seems to have you know proper maternal instincts here for for the, the the children that she's created or brought into existence there's some real effort there i think to do character work and so that's why it's like very disappointing to have brooke treated this way because there's good attempts being made here i'm sorry i'm sort of talking myself in circles of you but i suppose but yeah, there is there's is a good attempt here to try and like have a character piece as a conclusion rather than a, you know the usual flashbang wallop there's a little bit of that towards the end i suppose but that's not really kind of the main thing that's being done here and and it just feels like 
so much of the character work which is done here for Madame Kavari and for Brooke for River as well kind of walks up to the line of, of having that understanding and then it kind of all drains away again. It's very disappointing that that happens because I think there is some great material that could have been played with that is very hinted towards that doesn't quite go all the way. And I still think this is a better job than Let's Kill Hitler because the bar is that low. But again, <laughs> I'm still sort of waiting for the story that really gets into the psychology of how these uh, children of Madame Kavarian like, function. And I think Lady in the Lake might be the best one that does that even if it does it very indirectly, just through these characters of Lake and Tarn at all. No, I think that's a fair conclusion. And like we have uh, Francesca uh, Zaitowell is stepping up into the role here. So she's H1, H2, and sort of the mission captain as well. But I mean, particularly for H1 and H2, there are some potentially interesting things going on there. In the way that Madame Kavarian clearly has um, sort of favorites or, or, or the way that she treats O, for example, um, as kind of like the, the, the lesser child. You know, there's, there's some fertile ground there. We could do something with that. So it's, it's uh, if you don't mind a tortured metaphor, it's a shame uh, the, the sort of character seeds don't get the opportunity to be sort of fully fertilized in the fertile ground of, of potential. God, that sounds bad. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does feel a little bit of a letdown. And I mean, like you're saying, it's great that this just trying to make character piece and not a grand epic thing. It, granted, it has the backdrop of something epic with like the universe about to be basically a much worse place without the Doctor. But it is just the sort of collection of characters, River, Kavarian, and Brooke, this sort of trio, and then like those three other children just sort of hanging around. That uh, is basically our entire cast, except for Peter Davison coming in in little bits and pieces here and there. And so, yeah, it has the makings of something really interesting and special, and I think its heart is in the right place, but its execution is just a little bit uh, more what we expect, and that is disappointing. I think one thing that I would like to draw attention to here as a positive is that I really appreciate the fact that um, other than kind of Peter Davidson's ghostly voiceovers, this is an entirely female cast. And it's really, really unusual to have a play like this, which is completely centered on female characters, female actors, um, revolving around these kind of ideas of sisterhood and and sort of uh, motherhood and all these kind of things. I think that's really something to be appreciated given big finish can be really terrible even now when it comes to kind of representation and it would be nice if this had been written by say a woman for example but still it's really good that there is this kind of like this is a this is the whole point of having something like a river song box set is that we're not just sort of following male perspectives we're not just following the same old plots and beats and all the rest of it so i think there is something to be said for the fact that that this is this is basically an all-female story that's great i really wish the writing had been strong enough to kind of carry that off but you know points you know where they're due that's that's something to be to be approved of uh, I definitely agree with those points. Now that we've talked about the woman, let's talk about the man. <laughs> and uh, I, I do want to talk about the concept of the Furies, because I think it's a very interesting thing that not much is done with. But, like, again, it's a great sort of sideways Peter Davison performance. And I love the voice modulation they give him. And I think this idea of Madeline Kambari being haunted by the Doctor and what she's done after, like, she works so hard for one goal... And a little bit of sign up with Kavarian, I do like that she is like very much believes what she's doing. She's not serious as a villain, but as a hero, like all great villains should. And I think that is a little bit of a nice wrinkle to the character. And I think having her be haunted by this guilt, doing what she thought would be an unambiguously good thing, is interesting for sure. I nothing narratively is done with it is the problem. Yeah, that's true, and I don't get the impression that it's ever going to be like a setup for something which is going to come back in the future. I'm I'm pretty sure this is the one and only time we'll actually encounter the Furies. I I agree. I think it's an interesting narrative concept that that not an awful lot is done with, and you know, like a lot of the when it comes to the plot points in this, when it comes to the Furies, I think they work quite well, and, and yeah, that kind of like 
literalized haunting of of that i think you could maybe draw that out a bit more especially if that was kind of uh like i don't want to say like a representation of of uh, kavarian's guilt or or uh, ambiguity as to what she's doing that's probably a bit too obvious but i think you could draw a stronger line between what the furies represent conceptually as this kind of thing that that's pursuing her and kind of something more direct with her character uh, part of the problem with that is that madame kavarian doesn't have that much of a character she's just a zealot and uh, and whilst this story does do something to try and broaden that out the majority of the history of the character can't quite support that that's a shame and the whole thing about you know well you know universe without the doctor and it's collapsing and the stars are going out we've had all this before there's no kind of originality there and there's only so many times you can listen to river go but i love him i love him more than anyone else and he's the best man and he's the best like we've got it okay we're three box sets deep into this series and we have multiple episodes of the tv show all iterating this point like dragging these points out for your big kind of finale to the box set isn't good enough it 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 feels repetitious because it is we've we've seen the plot points before we have an interesting idea that isn't expanded upon enough um and we have we have character beats which are are familiar and all that unfortunately kind of works to undermine some of the genuinely good points which which do exist elsewhere yeah speaking about like river it and credit to Alex Kingston once again. She does a good job playing those moments, but it is so repetitive to get a lot of the same moments again and again. I think the best acting moment from Kingston is the very beginning, when she, like right after she believes the Doctor is dead and is come back on the ship. There's a lot of real raw anger and like passion coming from Kingston in those lines. And for the rest of it, though, she never really... She has to sort of tamp down that mode because she comes in so hot at the beginning, but she's never really given much more varied emotion beyond that. Just this very defiant, very angry, and then a little bit hopeful that she can figure something out. And without that variety, it really does make the performance seem a bit repetitious. Yeah, and that's not her fault. But I mean, you know, yeah. she's she, she's not given anything else to do. And there are certain bits of this which are a bit hacky, I have to say as well. Like especially the idea of her her like room when she was a little kid growing up, and like right down to having the River Song theme played as if it was in a music box or you know like a kid's toy to help them go to sleep or something that's that's pretty hacky stuff really mm-hmm. it's it, it's it's not even like psychology 101 it's just psychology one and um, and those things kind of unfortunately work to undermine what it is alex kingston is doing because yeah i agree i really like her like when she does that kind of cold fury at the beginning of this episode and she does it she's done it a few other places as well she's really good at it you know she's intimidating and that's great that's exactly what the character needs but yeah of, of course you're right you can't sustain that for a sort of 45 minutes or an hour or whatever and so eventually you have to find other registers to work in and the story doesn't quite know how to do that it does fall back on these kind of repetitious elements one thing i will say is that uh the, the whole neural blocker thing where river can't pull the trigger on madame kavarian and neither can h1 h2 or o that's a it's a bit it's not lazy isn't quite the right word it's it's a familiar thing let's say it like that but it makes sense for somebody like madame kavarian to have that built in um, so I quite like that it comes back at the end and, and you know, like River says, you know, I can't kill you, but, you know, I don't have to save you either. And she's able to kind of leave Madame Kavarian as she is. That's, again, it's not, it, it's familiar, but it, it kind of, it feels like it's, again, reaching towards something about both of these characters, but it, it can't. It can't get it over the line. There's like there's an old episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that has Picard give basically exactly the same speech where some alien says, oh, you have to help. Uh, you, you, you know, you can't let us die. And he says, yeah, I, can't, I can't kill you, but I can't stop you. I, I don't have to help you either. It's exactly the same beat. And it's just like, it's such a shame because it, it, it's not going to take an awful lot to push that further, to, to sort of explore 
what that actually means but instead we just get kind of this slightly trite line and then move on so again like you can see the concepts are working in the right direction but they just they just don't convert and the whole idea of a psychic mental block i was just watching an old babylon 5 episode <laughs> a week or so ago and yeah that's just, they was doing the same thing and so yeah it's not an innovative idea by any stretch of the imagination but i mean yeah it it well, it has to make sense narratively. Otherwise, they would just shoot Madame Gavarian very quickly. <laughs> I mean, there's not much keeping that character alive beyond that sort of defense. And I can sort of be at peace with that device being used because of that. But you're right, not much is done with it. There's not a lot of drama milked from that. It's very much a sort of there as a narrative convenience and not much else. Yeah, ideas don't have to be innovative in order to work you just have to find interesting things to do with them not every story can be blink not every story can be amy's choice you know that's fine most doctor who stories aren't innovative you know there's nothing innovative about caves of androzani to take a fifth doctor example it's just it does really interesting things with sort of fairly standard kind of tropes and that's that's what you need you need to be able to take these ideas if they're familiar ideas or familiar concepts you need to find something interesting to do with them or interesting to say about them or or just something and and that's where this play that's our that's that's our theme for the evening boys and girls that's where this play just keeps coming a cropper it 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 doesn't have any more ideas than these kind of things just being stated and again that is a shame because there's a lot of great material and finally going into river's backstory finally also this mirror of brook which is actually kind of smart because it means we're not getting very tedious flashback sequences (laughs) <laughs> We've seen a lot of Rivers sort of story via TV and there's some gaps there, some very confusing gaps. But I think going back and doing the River origin story, the same way we had the Captain Jack origin story a while back with that box set would have been like kind of dull. So I think having Brooke and also then the three younger clones be sort of two stages in River's life as a way to sort of reflect what she was like and explore that indirectly is very smart, I think. And I think a lot could have been done with these characters and instead uh, a little is done with those characters. It's, things are still done, but it's, yeah, it's not quite as cathartic or fascinating as it should be. Well, uh, one of the other concepts I think that comes up here, which is sort of, again interesting in in sort of abstract this is a kind of reverse adoption thing going on here so madame kavarian has several speeches uh, to river where she says you know i was your mother i'm your mother i brought you up i you know taught you everything that you need uh, and all this kind of stuff and 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 river refutes it and she specifically says no Rory and Amy were my parents, and they, and this you could do something with that. That's I'm adopted, so this this is something which is um, kind of resonant for me. And I think you could do something really interesting with that because for me, like a lot of people have said to me in the past, kind of like, oh well, have you ever had any desire to find your real parents? And my response to that is. I have my real parents. They're the people who brought me up. They're the ones who took me to school and, you know, put a bandage on my knee when I fell over or whatever. The other ones, they're my biological parents. And that's different that you have necessarily a different relationship with them. But my real parents, are they're my parents. And you can, this, I, I, again, I, I feel like you could do something really interesting with that. You can, you could, you could, there is, yeah, that kind of reverse, um, approach to the way that adoption is maybe dealt with or whatever but again nothing is done with it and that just feels like so frustrating there's there's some real potential for good kind of like mother-daughter dynamics there but I think it would take somebody who maybe has experience of them I don't mean necessarily experience of um, adoption or whatever but like a woman being involved would be would be the thing that's missing here and so that i think that's at least part of the limitations like earlier on i said i admired the fact that this is a this is basically a female only cast and i absolutely do but there's there's still i think that's what's missing from this is there isn't really that female perspective there's just female characters um and there's no way for this play to be over to able to overcome that i think that's a really good job summing what's wrong with this story is 
Yeah, it's dealing with all these very interesting and weighty things, but it sounds like Matt Fenton doesn't have a strong take on them from his own perspective. He just really wants to sort of put these sort of interesting things and hope they're interesting on their own, but like a really focused take trying to say something thematic would have made this pop so much more. And what we have is still, I think, a very decent story, one that kept me like entertained and sort of interested, but it really leaves a lot lacking because it's missing that very much sort of thematic character growth and overarching sort of ideas to really tie it together. I feel loath continuing because I feel like that was such a good summation of the story, but there's one more thing I wanted to bring up that annoyed me that I didn't want really to talk about, and that is the deterrent, which is such a generic villain. Oh, God, yeah, I forgot about the deterrent. Yeah, we yeah, didn't I mean, mention that. <laughs> I don't blame you. They're, and it is such a bizarre thing when you have the deterrent and the Furies in the same story. You have, like, two different threats from two different directions sort of acting as basically filler to sort of keep the pace going as we work through this character drama. And it's... I can see how it's necessary from, like, a dogmatic save-the-cat perspective. But you just do want to keep some sort of monster in the story to sort of keep the action going so it's not just people standing around in a room talking. But on the other hand, like, again, it feels like a little too much to have the deterrent and the Furies pursuing them. And, yeah, the deterrent are just so generic. There's nothing to them. They're given a brief backstory about sentient weapons, which is kind of cool, but nothing is done with that. So they're just sort of there hanging around. (laughs) Yeah, no, the deterrent is completely over-egging the pudding. It's completely unnecessary. We already have enough of a threat as it is. And the deterrent just sort of sit there providing the most kind of generic Doctor Who kind of like, oh, and now we need the bad guy, so here's the bad guy. Like, even calling them the deterrent, just kind of like, that feels like somebody's thrown their hands up in defeat and just going, oh, I don't know, what do they do? Oh, they deter stuff, right? Well, that'll do, that's all right, isn't it? And and that is what we're left with. It's, it's uh, yeah, they're not great. Yeah, to give this podcast another conclusion, <laughs> I'll return to the King-esque. Uh, yeah, that, I think that is also indicative of like, where the story is sort of lacking and that it's throwing in these sort of ideas, uh, the turn and their backstory and everything, but not really having a strong thematic thorough line with them. They're just sort of there for a narrative purpose and the work isn't done to link that to anything else going on. No, well, I mean, what you really need for a story like this is a really strong script editor and the script editor, oh, it's Matt Fitton. So it's, you know, he, he I, I, I'm going to try and end on a positive note. I think this is, generally speaking, better than the average story that Matt Fitton turns out. And I would even go Mm. so far as to say it might provide a small glimmer of hope for the future that he's actually improving as a writer. He still turns out way too much material. But more than anything else... Get yourself a good script editor. That's what this story really needs. It needs somebody. And like, there's two script editors who are credited in this. So maybe John Dorney script edited. John Dorney and, and Matt Fitton are the two listed script editors. So maybe John Dorney script edited this one, and maybe Matt Fitton script edited uh, John Dorney's one. But it's still. It's way too incestuous. Like, you need somebody from outside your circle to come in and say, look, look, you've got an interesting idea here, but this is where you need to push it. Or you've got a, a strong sort of thematic concept here, but we've seen it before, so push it in another direction. That's what these stories, sort of, uh, particularly this story, so strongly kind of needs. It needs that, that voice which can say, okay, good ideas, now go away and do something interesting with them. Mm. I definitely think a big finish is going to continue... This strategy having a about a dozen writers turn out about a dozen about sorry edit. I definitely think a big finish is going to continue this path of having about a dozen writers turn out about a hundred stories a year. It really needs, <laughs> I think, some someone outside the sausage factory to be doing passes on these scripts and not getting overwhelmed by just how much needs to be done. And I think that could really focus it in. I think. TV show has the same problem, though it's not a volume thing. But I don't maybe in that first uh, Jodie Whittaker season, you could say it was a volume thing because Chris Chibnall isn't another guy who really needs a script editor, and he is the script editor. And yeah, I think again, 
it could have been a volume thing is that first season he was writing most of the scripts just because he was still assembling his writing staff. But yeah, I think you really do need someone who can sort of get outside their own head. Stephen Moffat and Russell Davies had the same problem writing so many stories a year. And then there would just be these occasional stories every season, sometimes many stories a season written by the showrunner, which would just sort of really need someone else's eyeballs on them. Oh, absolutely. But to also sort of zoom out slightly, it, it seems that I did my thing that I don't normally do this time around, which is I had a look at a few of the online reviews prior to recording this podcast, which I normally try and go in sort of just you and I in a conversation. But sort of like even just looking on the big Finnish website, it's like we seem to be in a minority in the way that we are sort of criticizing this box set. Like the very first Sort of quote in the uh, on on Big Finish's own website is uh, is from We Are Cult and it's quote ten out of ten well written finely acted and just downright entertaining. Uh, the next one is from Planet Mondas quote ten out of ten. I cannot recommend this box set enough. Even if you're not keen on River or the TV show, give this a go and you will be pleasantly surprised by the depth of her character. And you know it carries on like that. And uh, this, I mean, this seems to be a an exceedingly well received box set, which is great. I'm 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 real happy that that people are able to get that kind of enjoyment out of it. But I know it, it's it's weird. We I, I, again we find ourselves sort of relatively in sync with our opinions, which makes sense. You know, we've we've done ninety episodes of these this podcast. Now it makes sense that our opinions are going to overlap to a certain degree. Um, but there is, it seems like there is a fairly unusual disjuncture between what we think of this box set and, and what the general reception of this box set seems to have been. And I'm slightly at a loss as to explain that. I don't exactly know what the general explanation is beyond the fact that I think we're just harsher in general. <laughs> I mean, you like Cold Vengeance got like 10 out of 10 reviews in a vinyl release. Yeah. So true. I think, and, and of course... Probably maybe because you're going from the Big Finish website for their pull quotes for reviews. Oh, yeah, of course. They're not going to post a review which yeah. goes two, 2 out of 10. Why the hell did anybody release that? Of course, that's true. But, yeah, I think there is a general idea to sort of give Big Finish, especially modern Big Finish, a past. Just because, oh, you got David Tennant or Alex Kingston or John Barrowman. That's so exciting. Flying colors. Oh, at least you didn't make Minuet in Hell. It seems to be where the bar at <laughs> right now. And I, don't, I think we could hold it to a higher standard. Like, I think... This is my favorite of the three river box sets. I'd almost say easily my favorite of the three river box sets. I think though signs may be the best single river story we've gotten, I think this hangs together and has an arc in a way that first box set doesn't. And that second box set was, you know, very uh, problematic in just the quality term for me. And it was... Yeah, this third one really hangs together the box set. Each story is very, at least good, often strong on their own, but then feeds into this overall story that ends fairly satisfyingly. I think this is definitely the best River box set of the three we've covered, and I think it is, in terms of big finished box sets in general, a very strong one. I would not go 10 out of 10 because there's still issues with it. And I don't know, so I think, we're on the right track. It's just people are just bumping their scores a whole star higher than us, just out of habit at this point. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know whether I would say this is my favorite. I, I did, for the most part, enjoy it. I, I, I wish the conclusion had been sort of stronger. I think with a sort of stronger conclusion, yeah, this this pretty much would have been my favorite one. I don't know. Oh no! Now I'm now I'm having to think about it. There was there was like yeah, it's definitely stronger than like the first river box set. It definitely hangs together better than that. That's that's true. But the second box set is five twenty nine, and I love five twenty nine. Um, <laughs> ooh, I don't know. I don't second know. box set. I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not gonna answer that question. I've decided. <laughs> I don't know which one's the best so far. I was the second box that has the eye of the storm though. And that is just a mess. Oh well, that's true. That's that's true. So, Swings and roundabouts. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, yeah. That question aside, like I do think this is like a very strong box set and. Ironically, it's the one with the weakest material for the doctor himself. So I think might be a sign, as we were talking about last week, that Timmy Voice, the Doctor Who stuff, of course, the next three we cover will still be very steeped in Doctor's mythology, 
even if not the doctor themselves. But I don't know who can say how it's going to go on from here. I really do hope we get to see uh, more River, though. I think this has done a good job re-justifying the existence of this line, for sure. Oh, I would be very surprised if this is the last time that we ever encounter Ms. River song. That's a good way to end this week's discussion. Uh, please send us an email at you at gmail.com. Nothing this week, but you can send in any discussion points about the stories we've covered, Doctor Who in general, or if you just have any general questions for us, please go ahead. We're also looking for recommendations, uh, specifically about the fourth Doctor Adventures, which is a range we've consistently struggled finding good stories from, and we've relied on you, the listeners, a lot for sort of programming that. But also just other recommendations from other lines, other box sets that you want to hear for, about from us. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Who to You. You can find me on Twitter at Kev Kozer, that is K-E-V-K-O-E-S-E-R. You can find more of JG's writings at www.jgmcquarrie.scott, that is J-G-M-C-Q-U-A-R-R-I-E.scott. Please like, rate, review, subscribe, interact with this podcast, some whatever podcatcher you're using. It helps other people find it. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, that means that we can leave River Song there for now. Next week, we are returning to the main range. It's been a while since we've done a main range story, but this time we are going to be covering other lives. So we're going to be returning to the Eighth Doctor, Charlie and Keres. So we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep talking. <laughs>